It's Eddie. We have another great show for you today. We are talking to Kobe Fayok. We're talking about Jamstack and React and things like that. As always, if you'd like to support the show, please visit us at techjunior.dev. You can sign up for the newsletter. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you like. Uh, share the show with your friends. Anything you can do to support the show is greatly appreciated. And uh, let's get into it. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work Junior. I'm a backend developer working with JavaScript. Got with me as always, Eddie. Hi, it's Eddie. I'm a front end developer. I guess I'll do that this time. You had to think about that. Yeah, because I I've been changing it. So uh, yeah, front end. I did front end today. So yeah, <laughs> today <laughs> yeah. depends on the developer. day. Yeah. Uh, and we have with us a guest, uh, Colby Colby Fayok. So welcome, Colby. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, maybe you could introduce yourself for everybody out there. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, I'm Colby Fayok. I'm a lead UX and front-end engineer at Element84. Um, so we kind of specialize in bringing data to the cloud, and I put the dashboards and make it all user-friendly and those kind of things. So typically, I'm working on the front-end of things. Cool, cool. So uh, I know I've, I've kind of moved away from front-end recently. Eddie has done a curveball and <laughs> <laughs> went, went to back-end and then back into front-end. Yeah. Uh, but today, we want to talk about... Um, you know, just all things front end and, and really how to get better at it, right? So uh, maybe if, before we get into all that, Colby, you could walk us through kind of, you know, a little bit about yourself and how you got into where you're at now. Sure. Um, so it all started back in high school when I was designing MySpace profiles. <laughs> but uh, as I've, I've always loved kind of doing code and uh, it's all kind of self-taught. I went to school for design, but I ended up uh, self, you know, going through as a hobby. Um, but that led to just kind of learning through breaking stuff and trying to figure things out. Um, but now I work on UX and front end. So it kind of depends on the project. Some days I'll be doing wireframes and user flows. Other days uh, I'll just be heads down in JavaScript and React all day. Um, but then on the side, uh, I've been doing a lot of educational content creation. So that includes articles, videos, um, also an egghead instructor. So that includes a course and you know, an upcoming course. So. Um, I, I love seeing people learn and, you know, getting happy by learning new tools. So I, uh, I keep trying to push forward on that. Cool. 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 How did you, uh, get into, I guess the, the education side of it? Was that just a passion for you or? Uh, so interestingly, the work that I'm doing on the project right now is for mapping libraries. So there's like mapping apps, like Google maps. Um, and when I was first proposed that projects, I was kind of intimidated by the idea of having to build a map in the browser. And, you know, once I started looking into it, it really wasn't that bad with the tools we have. Um, and that kind of inspired me to want to teach others about that because we see these uh, tools that can really have an impact with like scientists and, you know, that kind of stuff with people actually using those maps um, and being able to help teach other people to use those and understand that really any of us can do this. Um, I just thought made that more powerful where hopefully that can make a bigger impact. So um, that's where it started. But then it just grew to me doing uh, a bunch of random tutorials and stuff. And I've just been enjoying um, trying to mostly doing re React stu React based stuff, but um, just generally speaking, like teaching about tech tools. Cool. I know uh, whenever I've tried, like circling back to maps, uh, whenever I tried to put maps in the browser, it has always been difficult. <laughs> either, either it's Google Maps and there's like a zillion dashboards you have to go through to get like keys and everything set up. Or you're trying to use like, uh, was like Leaflet or something? Leaflet is, yeah, that's what I'm more familiar with. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely not saying it's like easy as possible, but like the uh, the snippet, for example, on the Leaflet homepage, um, if you just kind of copy and paste that in, like you have a map and it's like as easy as that. Um, it definitely also has a kind of learning curve because at first, like you can just copy that snip it in and paste it into your project. Um, but then it gets super complex because, you know, map data can be complex. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know, Eddie, if you remember from working in the boot camp and stuff, but uh, having students that came in and they were like, oh, you know, I want to put a store locator or something on the page. Yeah. And like, You're kind of like sucking through teeth like, oh, boy, <laughs> here we go. It's, it's almost as bad as like working with the YouTube API or something. Yeah, uh, It's just it's always a roadblock for people. So. 
Uh, I guess you recommend Leaflet if anybody's into that out there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it also depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, like Google Maps, if you're really just trying to put a map with a few locations on it, that'll probably suffice. But uh, the cool thing about Leaflet is it has a lot of customization and you can really make it what you want. Um, so, you know, the more the more you need to do, the more powerful that becomes. I was going to say I cool, watched cool. your talk today. Uh, on oh, Leaflet. nice. Yeah, it's good. I, yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. We'll have to, to link that on the show notes. Uh, so yeah, you kind of branched off from there and, and then dipped your toes into Jamstack, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stemmed from just personal interest because uh, I started learning about things like Gatsby and Netlify, and that was really what kind of brought me into the Jamstack. And uh, I think really the thing that drew me to it was how easy, uh, again, I say easy, but you know, it depends on how you're looking at it. But with a lot of these tools, now you can like run one line in the command line and you instantly have an app and then connect your GitHub page to Netlify and it's deployed. Like comparing that to what we traditionally would have to do for like spinning up servers and all of that or writing a Webpack configuration by hand, which is a nightmare. Like it's just, it makes it so much more pleasant to work with these tools and actually focus on building the app rather than the tooling around it. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um... I know that the Tech Junior site is a Jamstack site, you know, just deployed on Netlify and, and all that good stuff. Uh, so there, I, I do sympathize with that, but also at the same time, it's like somehow Jamstack has become more complicated than like a WordPress <laughs> site. You know what I mean? Like it's cool, but then if you're doing something like slightly custom, then it becomes, oh my God, now I'm in like a bunch of config files and I'm trying to like cobble this this chain together so that everything builds properly. And ha- have you grappled with any of that? Uh, a little bit. And like, that's totally fair because uh, part of the idea is that everything's not, uh, you know, separate services connecting into one thing. So you might be running into a situation where you're dealing with a lot of uh, different sources. Um, and, you know, that's a, a fair critique of the th- system. But I think that kind of I really enjoy the like microservices approach. So it kind of fits into that. Um, but also, I think it just makes it a little bit more flexible that you can be able to use. And um, I know there is something to be said about WordPress being able to spin that up. And I still think WordPress is a great platform. Um, I know there's a heated debate between WordPress and Jamstack, which doesn't really make sense in the first place. But um, I don't know. I think both tools have a lot to learn. And plus, Jamstack generally is still relatively early in its life cycle. So if you think about it, the like the approach of building static sites has been around forever since, you know, uh, the web really started. Um, but the modernization of it, um, the tooling around it is still really young. So I'm, I'm really excited to see like, especially where it is now and the development going towards, uh, the future. Like I'm really excited to see what that looks like. Yeah. I know, uh, Chris Coyer dropped an article or a blog post, uh, not too long ago where he kind of compared Jamstack versus like traditional websites. And he had, he had some pretty good critiques in there. I definitely felt that pain of uh, Jamstack is like supposed to be simple, but then it becomes complicated with like Webpack and the build step and all this stuff mm-hmm. versus the traditional server, even though it, it kind of became like a pros and cons thing. So it, it just really like everything else in web development becomes like a choose wisely kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And I think it ultimately mm-hmm. depends what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, I think it, you really need to, kind of weigh your options no matter what the project is and kind of see what fits best for your use case. Um, Cause it might just be spinning up a WordPress instance if it's a small personal blog. But um, I think part of the draw for the Jamstack is like the developer experience. So like being able to have the local development experience and the tools around that is kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as far as like my use case, like I have a blog that's Jamstack and the tech junior sites Jamstack. It's, really easy to jump in there and just make updates and not have to worry about like, Oh, is my server? Okay. Is my MySQL instance like running properly and all this other junk. For sure. But at the same time, like if I was going to hand that off to a client, then it becomes like a huge hill to, to overcome. Like, okay, well how do I teach them to be able to use this platform? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a big pain point that like the Jamstack ecosystem hasn't really addressed yet. Like I, I'm still a firm believer that WordPress is one of the, I'm, one of, if not one of the best uh, publishing experiences out there for, especially for like non-technical people where a lot of the headless CMS options you have now, like kind of look like a database Um, and they're really powerful. You can do a lot of cool things with them, but it's just not at a point where like non-technical people can really feel comfortable going in there and making the changes where a lot of the times if you're developing these sites, like you're saying, they're to hand off to a client. 
Yeah, I know uh, with our company personally, like we've we've got our site that's a Gatsby site and it's, you know, it's all Jamstack, but we've got product people that aren't technical and they have to like make updates and, you know, post blogs and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, they've had it up for maybe a couple of years and now all of a sudden like we're hiring somebody from the outside to do like a WordPress replacement for some stuff on the uh. website. And it's like, hmm, man, that really seems like, I don't know if we're taking a step backwards or, <laughs> right. or what's going on there, but uh, that, right. definitely the, the client angle of, of Jamstack is like, uh, it's just not there yet. I mean, we've got like a For lot sure. of stuff like Netlify CMS. Uh, you can bring in like Ghost CMS or, you know, whatever you want. Uh, pay, pay the money for Contentful or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's, at, you know, when you compare it to like, oh, let me just press a button and generate a WordPress site and it comes with all this stuff, you know, with all the editors and everything. It, it just becomes like an interesting problem. And I would personally love to see Jamstack get there where, you know, we can like finally move away from, from WordPress and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. But I guess we just have to wait and see. Yeah. And, you know, like, I really hope that we get to a point where like we're both WordPress and Jamstack can learn for each from each other rather than, uh, I don't know, both of the founders of the term kind of like uh, bickering about each other. Cause like, there's a lot of value in both of the solutions. Um, and like speaking of WordPress, that kind of led me to, I don't know if you're familiar with Next.js, um, but I have a project where I created a starter that uses uh, WordPress as a headless CMS. And my hope and goal is to kind of create like a, th- a WordPress quote theme that brings it out as much of like the default things you would expect from a WordPress theme and bring it into a static Next.js site. Uh, still work in progress, but it's it's an interesting like problem to, uh, to challenge to kind of tackle um, bringing all these dynamic elements into it. Yeah, that, that's always been interesting because like if you're going to have a WordPress instance spun up, like, is that something you just leave up all the time? Because if you're doing, like, a, the integration with the Jamstack site, on build it queries WordPress and gets, like, all the blog posts. So do you put it on, like, a Heroku instance, like, for free or something, and it just hope that it spins up in time and can do the query and then spin back down? Or do you leave it up all the time, and if it's up all the mm-hmm. time, like, are you better off just leaving it as a WordPress site from that point and letting it serve the web pages? It just becomes this really weird problem. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. Um, the thing I'm doing for my for like the test site that I've been running is I just have an AWS Light Sale instance, and it's uh, at the lowest it's three fifty a month for the WordPress instance, which I think is on the low end for typical WordPress. But like the idea is that it really only has to hit it at compile time, so really it's not getting much traffic, um, right. so it doesn't have to worry about like scaling the server up. It's really just um, compiling those changes anytime there's a content change and it can hopefully stay at that nice and steady $3.50 per month. <laughs> so if you're doing that, then does the Jamstack site handle like the customer facing, um, like the editor experience or is that coming from the light sale server? So that would come from the light sale server then. So it's, if, if I'm not mistaken, when light sales, light sales spins it up, it's really just like an EC2 instance, I believe. Sure. Uh, and then, like you get the snapshots and everything like you normally would. Um, so yeah, it's just an AWS server and that ho- that's hosting uh, WordPress and it's all kind of managed for you, which is the part that I like about it because you don't really have to think about it too much. Um, but the starter really just uses the basic default WordPress installation. Um, and you know, it's kind of a proof of concept, but it's it's definitely got enough like a blog and everything that somebody could use as a as a blog. Cool, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it even that though, like when you when you think about teaching it to somebody new, like don't you find yourself kind of at a loss for like, okay, well, you also need to know about AWS and Lightsail and uh, all, all these other technologies that have cobbled together to become this thing that is actually <laughs> something that you would use in the real world. Yeah, like no, I know. I get what you mean. Um, you know, thinking about it like logistically that way, um, like I imagine like the WordPress is providers kind of plug and play. Like really you can bring your own uh, BYOWP, right? Bring your own WordPress. Um, <laughs> I'm going to coin that. Uh, but really that, <laughs> that way you can like plug it into the site and it just builds from wherever you want to pull it in. Cause um, so we're, we moved over to the GraphQL querying cause I guess we're able to get some better data with that. But um, really like aside from uploading that one plugin, like it's, you just plug it in and it works automatically. Um, 
So like as long as somebody can bring that to the table uh, where they don't have to pay for the huge WordPress servers to scale their site, they can bring that into Next.js, it outputs it as static, and then they can dump that storage. Um, so yeah, it definitely adds a little bit of complexity rather than a one click, here you go with everything. Um, but I think you also get a lot of benefits from that. Like you, you're still serving that static site. You don't have to worry about it scaling. You don't have to worry about the servers. Um, it's all managed for you. Um, I don't know. Like I, I feel like there is complexity, but there's also a, a beautiful simplicity to other parts of it. Yeah, I can I can see that for sure. Um, it's nice like running our sites because we're not really worried about like, oh, you know, we're gonna get DDoSed or something, or someone's mm-hmm. gonna hate the podcast and then try and take the site down because it's just a static site on Netlify, so they can, you know, it's it's like cached and all the stuff through CDN. So it'd be really tough to take down a static site versus yeah. like a WordPress site is kind of like ripe for attack. So yeah. I, again, it's just becomes like this weird balancing act. And I think uh, you, you're right in a couple of years, you know, maybe having a totally different discussion about Jamstack versus traditional sites. Yeah. And like, as far as the, I, I didn't actually touch on the client side aspect of it. Like I would, I would imagine if I would hand this off to a client, like they wouldn't even know like the background of it. Cause like being able to, a, like once they have that WordPress instance, they can log into that WordPress instance wherever you want to host it. Um, they don't know the better, but when they make the changes, it triggers the webhooks that would go off and kick off a new build for the static site wherever that's hosted. Um, so while it, there's like a couple extra pieces as to how that chain happens, for from their point of view, it's just kicking off that chain of events. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Eddie, did you ever, uh, did you ever get into? like database stuff with, with Jamstack or I know you had like a little bit of client work with it, but, uh, no, no, nothing with a database, <laughs> just a, a regular, like Gatsby site also hosted on LFI, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I feel crazy. like that's kind of where it shines. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of databases. It's not something <laughs> I've ever worked too much with. I know like if I spent the time to actually dig into it, I, I'm sure I could figure it out, but, um, it's just not something I've ever spent a lot of time with. So I don't, uh, I think I have flashbacks of like the PHP based uh, database <laughs> queries that I would need to, you know, come up with. Um, so it always just kind of kept me away. Cool, cool. So if you were going to tell somebody or give them advice on how they could get into Jamstack, would you tell them or point them to Next.js or Gatsby or Vue with Gridsome or Nuxt or what, what do you kind of feel is, is the best choice there? So let me start off by saying, like, I've never really played with Vue yet, and you know, I'm sure there's a lot of great things about that. Um, as far as like a beginner going like the uh, the React route, I'd probably push them to like a Gatsby Netlify solution. Um, I I'm definitely personally a fan of Next.js right now, but I think that there's a little bit of a lower barrier of entry with Gatsby, especially because it has a lot of uh, plugins in its ecosystem that makes it easy easier for beginners to kind of um, approach some of those problems. Um, I, I always use this anecdote that I was one of the project managers on my team. They were able to even spin up a Gatsby project and a, uh, and put it up on Netlify, and they didn't really have any background in software or anything. So um, I think that's a good way to show that it is approachable, uh, being able to spin up the Gatsby site uh, just with its like default starting template and then connect your GitHub account to Netlify. Um, just that workflow has a lot of simplicity to it, which makes it really lovely. Cool, cool. So I guess kind of launching off from there, um, you've got like a lot of content in the direction of like, I guess, getting started or getting better at this this kind of like React workflow and, and getting better with the tooling and stuff. So um, what what kind of stuff are you targeting whenever you're, you're working on that kind of content? Yeah, it's mostly React-based. Um, and it kind of stems around that. Like lately, I've been trying to somewhat incorporate Next.js into most of the content. Um, but I also try to keep in mind that I don't want to create a situation where somebody might not be able to enjoy learning something because I have have it on in React. So um, sometimes, depending on the article, I might do it in like plain HTML before moving on to like a React. It, it just really depends on like the complexity of that particular piece. But um, Aside from that, it's mostly React-based content. Cool. So, how do you how do you approach teaching React to folks? So, React specifically, or React like libraries, or, or uh, all the above? <laughs> I guess all the above, really. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so the way that I usually do my articles is I really like to kind of give a little bit of upfront context. Um, so instead of just diving right into the code, which, you know, some people might prefer to just jump down. Um, I like to kind of help people understand like what they're looking at. So what tool am I trying to explain and why is it important? And then what are you going to actually build through this tutorial? Um, that way, as they're going through, I can kind of explain the concepts right in line as they're learning each of the different pieces of, of the library. Like I just did one of with Chakra UI. So like as each step, whether it's the installation or building a new component, I'm kind of breaking down what's actually happening behind the scenes. That way they have a better understanding of not just this code snippet is going to do, you know, they can't just paste it in and it works. They understand why it works. Cool. So whenever you're kind of making this content, um, I know we, we talked a little bit before about, you know, learning by doing. So do you incorporate like a lot of examples or activities whenever you're kind of writing this stuff? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like each of the articles I write comes with a tutorial, uh, just, by itself. Um, so like the hope is that somebody can take that and run with it. I always leave like additional steps that they can do uh, beyond what the tutorial kind of focuses on. But I think generally speaking, like there's, you know, I, I, I do really believe in learning by doing. Um, and I think that tutorials kind of play a role in that, but it's also a little bit different of approach. So I put together this ebook uh, called 50 projects for react in the static web, where I don't, give you 50 tutorials, I give you, give you 50 project ideas. So that includes things like a little project brief, uh, like a to-do list, uh, layout design idea even, uh, with the idea being that instead of like walking you through it, like hand-holding it, you can go out there and try to figure it out. Um, of course, I do link to resources so that you have a little bailout option in case you get stuck. But the hope is that digging into that code and kind of struggling to learn it is going to help you understand those concepts a little bit better. Yeah, I'll say, um, for sure. I've, I've had a lot of students that, um, they get out of a boot camp or whatever, and they're so used to this, like, I don't want to say spoon fed, but like the structured approach to learning where it's like, okay, today's activities are this, and you're going to try and do this and that. And then your homework is this, and it's going to incorporate all the activities we did this week where they, they get out and then they just start doing like, okay, I'm going to go to Brad Traversy's YouTube page and I'm going to do like these three tutorials that are like six hours long. And then mm -hmm. I'll go on YouTube or on Udemy and get like another two or three tutorials. And then they get like three quarters of the way through one and a quarter into another one. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I haven't built anything. And they <laughs> yeah. just get stuck in this like miasma of, of tutorials. Yeah. So it, it's kind of hard to to tell them and get them to like internalize no, you have to, to leave the tutorials and like go build something. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, what do I build? And it's like, well, what do you want to build? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what is interesting to you, <laughs> right? And, and that's kind of like the pain point I was trying to solve with this also because, you know, a lot of times like somebody might want to go build something, but the exact, exact question, like what do I build? So the hope is that, you know, here's 50 ideas. Maybe something will spark interest. Uh, maybe somebody will take the challenge and try to do all 50 of them, but who knows? <laughs> um, but that way they can focus on actually like digging in and building something rather than, you know, just sitting on what should they build. Yeah. I often try and tell them like, Hey, if you're going to go learn something like, Oh, I read a blog post about, I don't know, web animations, like go on CodePen and make like a, a little react app that you use that on. And then mm -hmm. I don't know, throw it on Twitter or something and say like, Hey, I built this today. Um, Cause I think a lot of people get stuck on, it has to be like a full stack app Kind of like, mm. oh, well, it needs to have a login system and a CMS and and it has to have like a build chain and all this other junk. And really, that's like above and beyond what you're even trying to learn at that point. You're just trying to like be able to make React components or something. And they're, sure. they, they're worried about like all this other stuff. So um, I think they get at least I, I could picture them getting like a little defeated before they start because they're like, oh, I don't have time to do like a 30 hour project like this weekend. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you have like a, a gradient to the difficulties of the projects or do you, do you kind of target smaller or bigger? Or? Um, so I don't have like a difficulty gradient. I do have different levels. Um, the levels are just kind of like 
steps that you can progressively build on top of it. And it's definitely not by difficulty. I considered doing that, but it, I just felt like between all 50 projects, it was kind of hard to have like a baseline and, you know, fundamentally say that this is more or less difficult for somebody than somebody else. Um, so I took the approach of just kind of building off of each less, uh, each project and just giving more things that they can keep building onto it. Cool. So like what, if you can, like what, what are some of the projects that you've got in the ebook? Yeah. So, uh, there's different random things. Like some of them, I do have, uh, like mapping, um, projects that you can build out, but I also have, uh, like where you can, um, create clones of websites. So I have like a, a Winamp as one of the projects. Um, <laughs> cool. I also have some, uh, like just a, a personal blog. Like I know it's very simple, but it's a, it's a project that you can go out there and build and then you can talk about it. Um, and I also have add-ons. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, web mentions. Like that's one of them. Um, I also have like go add dark mode to your website. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a huge variety. I think I have eight different topics that I have the projects bucket under bucketed under um, ranging from like business and real world fun and interesting and like personal portfolio things. Cool. So do you, if you have like personal portfolio rated stuff, is that, um, stuff that you would recommend that people throw out there and, and kind of try and get hired with or. Yeah. So the, so the personal portfolio things, um, so to be clear, I think like the entire, all the projects, like the idea is that you're building these things that you can take and run with to a potential employer. Um, like I, I was thinking back a couple episodes ago with you all, uh, you were talking about how, pro <laughs> how projects are critical to like a resume. Right. Yeah. Um, so being able, being able to have those projects, like if you don't have an actual job yet that you can show your work, you have something that you built that you can show and you can talk about. Um, now when I, when I talk about the category of personal portfolio stuff, I'm, I'm actually talking about projects that would be for your personal website. So it's like having a website, having a blog for your website, um, building out, uh, uh, but like different pieces of your actual personal website, not uh, like your portfolio site. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, when Eddie and I did those episodes, uh, we kind of hammered that um, a lot of people like don't even have their own website and they're yeah. trying to go get hired as web developers. That's or a great the, point, yeah. the only personal portfolio they have is like a bootcamp homework from like the first couple of weeks when they were learning HTML or something. Yeah. And it, it kind of, it becomes like a show don't tell kind of thing where they put on their, their portfolio or on their uh, resume. Um, ooh, excited about learning technology and fast paced learner and blah, blah, blah. Uh, love creating like interesting user experiences and stuff. And it's like, well, you say that <laughs> and yet you don't have like your own website to express all this creativity that you say you have. So for sure. Um, yeah. And, and like as somebody who's, I, I've set, sat on the like uh, hiring part of that, process and um like i definitely don't discount somebody from if they don't have one but it definitely like makes you stand out if i see on your uh, profile that you have a website attached because i absolutely go through and click through and i check out your website and i try to get a little bit of a better idea of what you're about um, and i think that's important because we're not just hiring people who hit the keywords uh, we're hiring humans right mm -hmm. yeah and Eddie and I have sat on the other side of the hiring table and looked through some of these resumes and applications and stuff. And I mean, I read all of them. Uh, I like to think that I spend longer on them than most people, but um, <laughs> yeah, every time I see a link or something I'm like, Oh, okay. And then I click it or I copy and paste it over or whatever. And then if they have a website, like I view it in like a mobile view and I'd try and click all the links. Oh, you have a project. Let me click that. Uh, and then try and use it. I'm like, Oh, it's broken or something. You know, I, I go through the whole thing <laughs> yeah. and kind of see like, Hey, if you're going to, if this is your submission to us to like impress us or whatever, yeah, I'll take the time to look at it. So uh, I, I have hundred percent agree. Like I'm always looking for that person that, uh, took the time to even put up like a basic page, you know, mm. or if they did put portfolio projects, like which ones did they choose to put on there? Is it like a bunch of junk or is it a couple of things that they're really proud of and are really slick or is it somewhere in between? So I, I think all that stuff is, is really important. And somehow, like, even though we say it all the time, you can see it on Twitter all the time and on LinkedIn and all this stuff, people just, it, 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 it doesn't translate all the time. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And like going back to the Jamstack, like I think even more like now more than ever, like it's so much easier to be able to put up like a free website. Cause honestly, like as a developer, if, if you, 
take the time to figure out how to create a new Gatsby site, um, even just the default Gatsby site, um, put it up on Netlify. Like they have the free tier, which is pretty generous. If you're just putting up a personal site, you're probably not going to pay anything for it. Um, but even that alone and like putting your name on it is more than a lot of people have on their resumes. So like you're already standing yourself out. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty cheap. You know, also if you like, first of all, you can deploy it to GitHub for free, right? Or yeah. you can put it on Netlify for free and it just says like a .NET fly or whatever. Um, but if you wanted to buy like a domain, it's like what, 12 bucks a year or something? Unless you're, mm-hmm. unless you're like John Doe or something, .com you're going for. <laughs> um, something that's like incredibly uh, popular. Um, and yeah, I, know, I think like, I'm fortunate that my, I'm the only Colby Fayok in the world, so I didn't have any trouble there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like one of a few Leworks. So I, I got lucky there. Uh, I ended up paying like 15 bucks um, from like pork bun or something. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, the like all my stuff is on GitHub um, before like Netlify got really popular, and I just like bought a domain name and put everything through like Cloudflare and then routed it all. And, and now like every time I deploy something on GitHub, it's like leework.com slash whatever the repo name is. So oh nice, yeah. You know I'm I'm paying like nothing for that. So you know even getting somebody to that point is like. Yeah, why would why wouldn't you do that? Like, go deploy your stuff, you know. Yeah, it doesn't take much time, like just to get that basic setup out the doors. So, um, and the impact that it can have on your potential to um, impress a future employer. Yeah, it. I don't know. It seems like a easy decision. Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. I know. Uh, twenty twenty has been a really great year for um, learning new things. <laughs> 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 I've had uh, plenty of time to to work on these stuff <laughs> no it's been it's been a real dumpster fire every year i don't know about about you guys but yeah. yeah same here yeah it's funny how like it everyone being home like automatically think that everyone's just gonna have all the time in the world but that's just not realistic yeah i think a, a lot of the the time is spent like curled up in a ball like uh <laughs> with like cheetos on your bed and like flipping through netflix kind of situation understandable uh, maybe like teary-eyed with like some kleenexes or something <laughs> Uh, crying in the shower, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's been 2020 in a nutshell. So I see. Um, we've got like meetup groups in uh in Orlando and stuff, and usually like the meetup, the biggest one, um, they get like a hundred or something RSVPs for like a meetup, and now they're doing them online because of COVID. And uh, I checked the one that was happening tonight, and it was like 50. And I know like I we know. we do a meetup and we had like 12 people or something a couple months ago. So it feels like the whole like tech industry scene has kind of just ground to uh, the speed of molasses like during 2020. Just a lot yeah. of online stuff and everybody's just kind of like in this really crazy uh, place mentally with the the world and everything. So um, it, it's tough to to. I guess get in a right mindset for all this learning and stuff. And at the same time, people are like, Oh, well you're stuck at home. You have all the time in the world. Like mm-hmm. yeah. you should be learning everything. And it's just, that's not fair. Right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, as, as important as all this stuff is, it's also important to have like good mental health, right. Um, making sure that you're able to take care of yourself and, you know, be happy before you put this kind of stress and work on yourself. Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So, and there's just a lot of other life stuff. Like you were talking about, um, you don't discount somebody that doesn't have a portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't do that either. And, you know, there's absolutely people out there that have a family and they have commitments that they have to meet. So um, there's this delicate balance between like people on Twitter screaming at you to build like all the things and show it all off and be like this Twitter personality superstar. <laughs> and then the other people oh, yeah. that are like, I work nine to five and leave me alone after that. And (laughs) no, I'm not going to do stuff outside of work because that's what I do all day. And so it, it's just an interesting, I think like the industry is still figuring that out really. Yeah. You know, and I, I hope that we can like when things do open back up, um, I think we, I really hope that we still take lessons from kind of what's going on. Um, Honestly, like in the beginning of the year, I really thought that it was going to kind of explode with online community communities and stuff. Like I was imagining all meetups would just be huge because anybody can get on being that it's online. But, you know, since it's really not going that way, I still hope that we can keep some kind of online aspect for the people who can't make these kind of meetups once we open back up. But I do really 
uh, I can't wait until there's like that meetup in person. It's just, you know, there's a different, different level of being able to meet up with people going in person. Yeah. That's, that's what we found. Um, it's like cool to be able to do the content still, but I don't really think people were coming a hundred percent for the talks in the first place. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, cause you can watch this stuff on YouTube or, you know, catch a conference recording or something. So for sure, uh, the community aspect is really like the, the meat of it. I feel mm-hmm. what have uh, you been using to do the meetups? Uh, we've, we've like streamed them to YouTube, um, mm-hmm. jump on like a zoom call or something and then, uh, stream it online and then people can jump in like a YouTube chat room and stuff like that. And that's like automatically recorded at the same time. So, uh, that, that works out okay, but <clears throat> it's not, it's just not the same, you know, mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> so, and I've seen some conferences like try to put things forward. Like, I don't, I'm not sure. Did you go to a Jamstack conf or, um, they used a platform called Hopin, and I know like one of the things they try to do is, uh, randomized, uh, virtual meetups. So like, you'll have a couple minutes to one-on-one with some random person that's at the conference with the idea being that it's like kind of like you're at a a conference where you just walk into somebody and start talking to them, but you're online. Um, and you know, that's, it's, it's nice that they're trying out ideas like that. Still feel like it's a little awkward, but, um, so I didn't personally do it because of that. Oh, okay. But, I was going to ask, um, how did that go? Cause that can be really weird. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. You know, I've, I've heard some stories of it going well, but also some stories of it, you know, of course being awkward, like you would expect. Oh, okay. uh, so it's probably hit or miss depending on the type of person you uh, get connected with. But, um, it's at least good to see that they're trying to figure out different solutions around that. Cause you know, ultimately it would be great if there are some good online ways to connect with people more like a typical community. I think that, um, one of the biggest lessons I've learned from remote work as well as like 2020 in general is like the more people you toss in an online meeting, the fewer people are like going to have their camera on and are actually paying attention. So if it becomes like a 40 person meeting, like five people are going to have their camera on Mm -hmm. and you'll have like 10 people paying attention and the other people are just like camera off muted and they're mystery. You know, it's (laughs) like the, the question mark, guess who person, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, I can only imagine like a conference of a hundred something people and then trying to like, Oh, and now we're going to do breakout rooms and then, <laughs> you know, and then you, right. you one-on-one them. It's, it's just going to be uh it, it would be tough. I think because going to like a physical conference, I see like a lot of people just kind of stick to their table or whatever, you know, or their, their little group. And, you know, they might go talk to some people at booths or something, but um, like forcing them to interact like over zoom or uh, or a video <laughs> yeah. call or something. I can only imagine how that would go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And like, I don't know, I'm the kind of person that you'd probably see in the corner of a conference. Cause I'm anxious and won't go over and talk to people <laughs> that I don't know. But so like, it makes it a little easier sometimes, but I still don't think it's comfortable enough on the online world that they've come up with a format. Kind of like I was talking the one-on-one things. Um, so I don't know. It's I, I, I tend to like the communities that are like a discord community or something where people are just randomly interacting, but I don't think that really lends itself to the conference aspect of it. Um, right. So I don't know. Yeah. It's there's gotta be some secret sauce in there somewhere that is like the, the good number of, of folks to get together or like a good format or something. And you would think we would have found it now by now, but Right. It's just, it just ha- hasn't happened yet. The, the lightning. I mean, we've had struck. how many, how many months have we been here? <laughs> Too many. Uh, I think it's been about six years since uh, March. So. <laughs> it's, it's this weird time warp where it both feels like it's been forever and uh, yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been monstrous for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, just circling back, um, you, you put out the, uh, the react ideas book, uh, the project ideas. Um, and I think you had another book, right? Yeah, I had another one called Jamstack Handbook. Uh, so the hope there is um, I walk you through like everything you really need to know about the Jamstack. I talk about both the good parts and the bad parts, You know, trying to weigh it up against uh, traditional serverful solutions like WordPress. Um, but then I have three step-by-step tutorials. So that includes just a really basic uh, getting up and running with Next.js and Vercel. So literally spin up a new Next.js site and deploy it. Um, I, then I moved to, uh, doing a Gatsby site where you use graph CMS as a headless CMS option, uh, query that with the GraphQL API. Um, and then finally I do a, an e-commerce store with Next.js again with Snipcart, um, which is a shopping cart 
the JavaScript plugin that you can plug in right to your site. Cool. And what is uh, Vercel, by the way? Uh, so that's the company that uh, has that built Next.js. They're kind of like a Netlify, but they're their own company. Um, I don't know if you ever heard Zite. They used to be called Zite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they rebranded to Vercel. I want to say earlier this year. I don't know so exactly. Are they still doing like hosting solution kind of thing? Yeah, so they do the static site, but uh, Next.js also has some like server uh, server side rendering aspects of it that it can leverage. And it also does like Lambda functions too that you can deploy. So um, a lot of a lot of similarities to the services that Netlify provides. Cool, cool. Are the uh, are the books available for like free or are they uh, a paper book or how's that how's that work? So fifty React projects is completely free. Um, you can download that today. Uh, the Jamstack handbook is ten dollars. Um, that'll give you the the full book. Cool. We'll uh, we'll definitely link both of those on the show notes. Where can they find them, or where can people find them? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Fifty uh, reactprojects.com and oh, okay. jamstackhandbook.com. Is that five zero uh, React projects or fifty spelled out? Oh five zero. Yep. Five zero. Cool. I'm not doing a too good job at a. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, where can we find you online? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me anywhere at Colby Fayok. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So uh, you said you listened to the show before, so I'm sure you're familiar. At the end of every episode, we do uh, a little segment called Nerd Minute, where we oh, talk about sure. you know video games or comic books or whatever. So uh, Colby, you're the guest. I hope you're prepared for this. Oh, do yeah. you have anything to, to share? Yeah. So uh, my wife and I, we love playing uh, couch co-op games, and it's always been a struggle to find good games. Like we've uh, we played through the Halo Master Chief Collection and Gears of War, but but we we kind of were in a dry spell where we haven't been able to find any good games. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Xbox games with gold, the free games with gold, but mm-hmm. uh, if you're paying for the live subscription, like you can download free games every month. And I've been doing that for like a couple of years now, just cause who knows, maybe I'll eventually play it. Um, <laughs> but we we found this, uh, I guess, Laura Croft, the Tomb Raider series, they came out with multiplayer games. Um, oh. There's one for the Xbox 360 called Laura Croft and the Guardian of Light. Um, okay. And, we gave it a shot and we really enjoyed it. The uh, the gameplay mechanics were slightly weird, but it was still a lot of fun. It was like, you know, uh, working through puzzles together and playing through the game. And that was great. But then we also found out that uh, the Xbox Game Pass has a second one that was available for Xbox One. So now we're playing through that one. Uh, that's Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris. And those, okay, yeah. those are like overhead or they have a different perspective than like the normal games, right? Yeah, for okay. sure. Um, I, I don't know what the perspective is called, but yeah, it's overhead. Isometric. Isometric. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I'll it's overhead. You have your little, and it's not like a bunch of uh, extra Lara Crofts. Like they, they create characters that um, kind of work into the uh, storyline. Cool. Do you let your wife be Laura Croft? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, she, she demanded it. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm surprised that she, uh, she played through um, the, uh, the, the Gears of War series because it's like, Two incredible, like, like if beef jerky was a person, like two of those <laughs> <Yeah>. guys <laughs> built like yep. brick, uh, you know, what houses, um, yeah. they're just like, oh, just grunting at each other the entire game. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's very non, uh, I guess it, it's very typical gamer kind of thing. So I think it gets better after yeah. the third one, right? The fourth, yeah, they have like a female character one, that they threw in there. Aren't that bad. It, yeah, it they eventually some. bring one in. I forget exactly how it plays into the story, but um, they eventually bring in a female character. Finally. Yeah, in the fifth one, I haven't played that one yet. Yeah, I it's, played that. I think three of them. Yeah, I, I don't know. Towards the end, they didn't get it. I, personally, I didn't think they were as good as some of the earlier ones, but um, I don't know. I've I've always been a, more of a Halo fan, anyways. Classic, classic. Yeah. I saw they uh, they finally released um, I think ODST for the the Halo Chief or um, the the Master Chief Collection. Oh, uh, I didn't okay. realize that we've we've only really played through the um, typical like one two three four. Um, then we were severely disappointed when we bought five and found oh, out yeah. when we were when we were trying to play it. Like I had it in the disc drive and we were trying to play it, and then we found out they didn't have multiplayer. Yeah. So I had to look it up online to find that out. <laughs> what? So yeah, yep. yeah, they took it. Five out doesn't of five. have co-op. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But now, uh, well, they, I, I guess they had it, but you had to be on Xbox Live. And, you know, we only have one Xbox. So <laughs> we were out of luck. Man, 
That's but we we heard that they're bringing it back for infinite or infinity, whatever. Uh, so we're super excited about that. Wait, I have a question. So you can't do couch co-op, but you can do right. co-op over um, over, I guess, Xbox Live. That's my understanding. Uh, okay. And I think there's a I think a lot of games do that nowadays. Um, it's really difficult to find like a good couch co-op game that's not like there's a lot of those good puzzle games but we like the kind of like shooters a little bit more um it's really hard to find those kind of games couch co-op. i started playing um borderlands pre-sequel with my daughter split screen that was that's been pretty good we tried playing that i it didn't resonate a little bit oh, i think okay. uh the dog the little dogs in the beginning scared <laughs> my wife away a little bit because uh, they were kind of hard to fend off but um yeah, might have to give that another go. Cool. Eddie, what do you got for a nerd minute? Um, I finished uh, Mario Odyssey, uh, okay. which was really nice. good. Um, yeah, it's a good game. If it, at, at the end, I don't know if this is a spoiler or whatever, but um, you go back to the castle for Mario 64. What? Yeah, um, you don't get to do anything, which kind of sucks because I wanted to jump into a painting and like play one of those levels, <laughs> which also made me be like get really mad about that release that they just did for the, the Mario sixty four. Uh, yeah, the new All Stars, and they did nothing to Mario sixty four. I was hoping to play like an Odyssey <laughs> version of that because I would have bought it right away. Cool. Um, but it was just the same game and just kind of cleaned up, which really sucks. Uh, it's a bummer. Yeah, it's a big bummer. Because um, I love that game, and I'd play it again if they fixed the controls, like the camera and stuff like that, and they made it pretty. Um, right. But yeah, I played that, I like, and I like I said, I played started Borderlands with my daughter. Um, that's been okay. She's playing as Claptrap, which is it's a little, he's a little annoying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, she's still getting used to like cameras and stuff like that, and she ended up. Because uh, I got the, it's a Handsome Jack collection, I think. And it has all the okay. DLC. And she accidentally started one of the DLC missions. And we were like 20 minutes into the game. And <laughs> we're, we're level four, maybe. And fighting these monsters that are or robots that were like 20-something levels higher than us. And I had to find a way Yikes. to get way back to where we started. And then start the whole thing over again. Um, that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, and also I started teaching her HTML, and she nice. she built the Among Us website. Um, really? Yeah, just a very basic thing. We just grab some Among Us pictures and let's put them on. Just HTML, no CSS. We're gonna do that next. Um, just built something very basic. I um on Chromecast, um, put the uh, cast the TV, uh, the, my laptop to the TV and just opened up, um, code pen and then just started building stuff with her. I was, I was trying to get her to ask me more questions cause I'm trying to, I'd like to put something together so I can make a video for other kids to, to learn this, but she wouldn't, I kept telling her, ask me questions cause I need to know what you don't know or what you're, you, you know, what you're interested in or like. Uh, so I can explain this in a way that will make sense to other kids her age. And she just was like, oh, just keep going. I just wanted to keep building this stuff. So I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so we we did it. And then she tried to do it on her own. Um, and she ran into some trouble. So we're going to probably build it again and then start adding CSS. So That's yeah. awesome. I still have yet to play Among Us. I, I've only heard amazing things. About yeah, it. I haven't played it either. She plays with her friends. Yeah. I've heard it's so much yeah. fun to... I, I watched a stream of a little bit when uh, I don't I don't know if you saw AOC did yeah, a yeah, big yeah. Twitch stream of it. <laughs> I watched that a little bit, which was entertaining, but still have yet to play it. Yeah, they, uh, I guess I'll throw out Among Us then, since you guys haven't played it. Um, <laughs> we have been playing that at work for like our our we have like a little game time thing on Fridays where we jump on for like an hour and play. And uh, it, it's cool because everybody can play it, even if you're on Mac or whatever. Because you, you can it on jump your on phone like a tablet. Too. Yeah, we're on a phone, so everybody can. It's it's like inclusive enough that everybody can jump on. Um, Is this with and your murder each team other. or with other <laughs> yeah, oddball? My team at work. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we've got like a bunch of um, contractors that jump on and uh, just lie to each other for an hour <laughs> and, and lots of murder. So team building. <laughs> yeah, team building for sure. Um, 
say that's that awesome. say that you know each team member is like a suspect and all the stuff so uh yeah it, it it's very re- reminiscent of um like a school party game like mafia or something oh yeah where uh people put their head down and like somebody gets murdered or something or somebody gets like tagged out of the game and then you have to figure out like who did it um except it's virtual and it's a spaceship and so uh you're voting on people to get like airlocked into space and there are other maps it it ends up being yeah they've got like the one map i don't know if they're they're releasing more at some point but uh, the game's been out for a couple of years and just this year, for whatever reason, just lightning struck and now it's like super popular. They were so. about to put out a second one and then had to stop. And now they're moving what? all the, the everything they built for the second game. They have to like try to fit it into the, the old code base. And the, uh, that's right. a nightmare. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, um, it's there. So that's what they're trying to do. I guess maybe add DLC or something like that. I don't know what they're doing, but that's what I heard. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty interesting because it's like a flash game from the early two thousands. Is what it looks oh, really? like. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like visually wise, yeah. But uh, it's I don't know, super popular. It's fun. I mean, yeah. I've definitely been murdered and been like, ah, you got me, you know. So. <laughs> Or well, ejected it, a coworker and said, "See you in space hell," or something <laughs> like that. So, <laughs> but AOC was the intruder the very first time she played, which was funny. Oh, really? Or what, what is what is the is it called? Intruder? Imposter. Imposter. Yeah. Imposter. Yeah. So that was entertaining. For sure. For sure. Cool. Well, uh, that's all I've got for for nerd minute. So, um, I guess we can wrap it up there. Colby, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a real blast yeah, having you on. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cool. And uh, we'll put all those links and the ebooks and all that good stuff on the show notes. So check that out at uh, techjunior.dev and find Colby on the internet at Colby Fayok. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to support the show, please visit us at techjunior.dev. You can also follow us on Twitter at tech junior podcast um, you can find lee at lee warwick jr and me at ed otero the o's or zeros you can sign up for our newsletter on our website please leave a review for the podcast if you can don't forget to subscribe and thanks again for listening we'll see you next time bye